0: From the MGMa in home studios, welcome to the Insights podcast. I'm Daniel Williams.
1: For me, it was a matter of having uh, clarity of purpose and, and understanding what am I, what do I need to do, what can I delegate to my team, and, and you know, now my team is my doc health team as well as my you know, clinical and administrative colleagues at Boston Children's, and of course, my family team. Um, and so, having you know a clear list of you know who's responsible for what and knowing what was you know the prioritization was a big thing for me.
0: That's Mike Doctor talking about the importance of having balance in organization in both his professional and personal life to help combat stress and burnout. We'll hear more from Mike in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsors. MDVIP's fee-based wellness program provides a better, more personalized primary care experience for patients and physicians alike, while providing consistent, stable revenue to your practice. Learn how your group can increase patient satisfaction and loyalty by visiting mdvip.com slash patientloyalty. As a healthcare organization, you routinely check your patient's health, but when was the last time you checked the financial health of your business? Don't let bad billing processes keep you from your hard-earned revenue. CareCloud's free revenue cycle assessment uncovers billing mistakes so you can see how to claim every last dollar. Get your free assessment by visiting carecloud.com. Dot com slash assessment. Our guest today is Mike Doctor. Mike is co-founder and CEO at Doc Health and pediatric gastroenterologist and former clinical director of innovation at Boston Children's. Mike, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Daniel, for having me. Now, before we get too far into some of the topics we're going to cover, uh, first tell our audience a little bit about your healthcare journey.
1: Yeah, so, uh, well, first of all, my name is Michael Doctor, so you can imagine it started pretty early, um, <laughs> and I think that there's some direct evidence uh, early in my life that I wanted to be a physician growing up, so I uh, I kind of took the traditional healthcare you know journey in that I um, yeah, went to medical school, residency, fellowship, and... Yeah, know, was thinking I'd be your kind of typical physician. Um, but really, along the way, just um, had a lot of kind of entrepreneurial um, inklings. And I think over time, that really became my passion. And so, you know, uh, not many people know this, but I, I took a, a year off between college and medical school and ended up um, working at J.P. Morgan in Manhattan and, and got some business experience knowing that I would never get back to business if I chose the traditional medical route. And so, uh, you know, that probably was, was a little bit of early inspiration to, to really pursue some of the entrepreneurial opportunities within healthcare.
0: So for that year at JP Morgan, what were you doing? And what, what was going through your mind to want to do that for a year? And and were you sure after a year, you didn't want to keep doing that? Yeah,
1: I'm I'm not sure your listeners want to hear this story. But um, I ended up doing tax reclamation for okay. American depository receipts, which is like <laughs> the most, you know, esoteric thing in, in healthcare, uh, sorry, in, in business. But, um, you know, frankly, it was a means to an end, which was uh, live in Manhattan and have fun. Uh, for a year before you know the real stuff started, which was medical school and, and you know a medical career to follow. So no regrets. And I, I firmly believe that things happen for a reason. So uh, for sure, that was a great, great experience. And it turns out that there was a little bit of seeding there as well.
0: Well, and I, I don't want to stay too long there, but I do want to kind of get that origin story. So tax reclamation, did that correlate? Is there anything to that that uh, goes into that entrepreneurial spirit that you now show? Or is yeah, that something uh, that just grounded you in a business world where you can make good business decisions? Yeah,
1: there was zero thought behind that. So the, the funny story is that the um, the guy that interviewed me, his daughter was in medical school. And, okay. and even though I, I had never taken a business class, um, I think there was a soft spot for me uh, in that interview. And Ultimately, you know, I worked there for a year while I was applying to medical school and uh, retaking my MCATs, um, which is, you know, one of the sort of keys for uh, the other reason why I, I took some time off. Um, but ultimately, uh, it was actually one of my good friends uh, in medical school that introduced me to eBay. And we uh, we started some eBay businesses uh, while in medical school. And that that really is where the entrepreneurial stuff started flowing. So.
0: Well, that's really yeah, perhaps cool. Perhaps on
1: the ne- next podcast, I can tell you all about
0: that. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that. It's just always interesting to see where people's motivations are. So let's, let's fast forward to now. So you are currently a pediatric gastroenterologist at Boston Children's Hospital. You're also co-founder and CEO at Doc Health. We're going to talk a lot about burnout today. So give us an idea then, because that's a lot on your plate every day. What is that day-to-day like?
1: Yeah, well, I think in many ways, it's a a product of the pandemic in that I I was able to successfully have my cake and eat it too. And and by that, I mean, um, you know, I was at Boston Children's Hospital for the last 13 years and a clinician, uh, while at the same time, spent a lot of time doing innovation and technology. So I had a role in the informatics program, uh, leading our mobile strategy, and I was the clinical director of innovation. So I got some really exciting exposure to, you know, companies coming into the hospital, trying to explore their technologies and and even spinning technology out. Um, But, you know, along the way, I was trying to find ways to bring technology into my clinical practice. And so, you know, I was a telemedicine provider, you know, a decade ago uh, in the early days of telemedicine. Um, And, you know, suddenly overnight, um, telemedicine blew up and, you know, uh, it was finally getting uh, reimbursed and it offered an opportunity for me to really um, you know, explore what remote work looked like. Um, and it was right around the same time that we spun out Doc Health and raised our seed round of financing from August Capital. And um, that's those sort of two things, literally in February of 2020, right before the pandemic, um, you know, happened all at the same time. And so I was able to successfully um, you know spin out the company and, and really join that in a full-time capacity while keeping a little bit, little bit of my clinical role at Boston Children's as a GI and I'm able to do that virtually so I see my patients uh, a couple times a month uh, virtually and again I'm, I'm still able to keep my finger on the pulse of the clinical work that I love uh, but at the same time able to, to really dive into the you know the full-time role that being a CEO of a, a startup requires
0: Hmm. Um- again we are gonna we're gonna touch on a lot of aspects of stress management burnout that takes place in the healthcare world um, I know our listeners are well versed in that they're either experiencing it or uh, they're helping their teams try to try to deal with that so I want to go into a little more detail about how you balance those two roles because again you do have a lot on your plate um, and it's we want to kind of get that secret sauce, yeah. figure out how yeah. you're handling all of these things on a day-to-day basis as well in those different roles. Yeah,
1: well, I think, you know, it, it is, um, it is in large part due to to getting organized and uh, putting a little bit of structure and accountability around your life. And, and for me, and we'll get into the sort of inception story here a little bit, but I, you know, I think that for me, it was a matter of having uh, clarity of purpose and, and understanding what am I, what do I need to do? What can I delegate to my team? And, and you know, now my team is my doc health team as well as my, you know, clinical and administrative colleagues at, at, back at Boston Children's and of course my family team. Um, and so having, you know, a clear list of, you know, who's responsible for what and knowing what was, you know, the prioritization was a big thing for me. Um, you know, I certainly am a firm believer in the checklist manifesto and Atul Gawande's work. And, and I think that that was an inspiration for me to just have, um, a bit more structure and accountability um, around the, the sort of work that I need to accomplish and, and give it a little bit of uh, prioritization as well. Um, so I think, you know, it's uh, helpful to have that checklist. Um, and, and I think <laughs> we'll get into that a bit further. But, um, you know, when you've got a lot going on, having a clear list of what, what you're doing and who's responsible for the other stuff is really helpful.
0: Okay. So we talked about doc health a few times. You and I talked about a week ago Uh, It might have been just a week ago here, and you were telling me some of the (laughs) ideas behind founding uh, that company. So let's take a deeper dive into DocHealth. Who are they, Um, and what's that origin story as well?
1: Yeah, well, it's it's really one of those classic stories of solving your own pain point. Um, For me, I was, again, a clinician with a foot firmly planted in the uh, technology and innovation space at the hospital. And so I got flavor of how other industries worked. And, and you know, uh, in typical healthcare fashion, you know, we always decide to do things on our own, despite the learnings and billions of dollars being spent uh, by other uh, industries to, you know, to figure some of these problems out. And so I was, I've always been a believer of, you know, uh, learning from uh, others as opposed to necessarily reinventing the wheel. Uh, but for me, you know, I struggled to, you uh, handle all the work, frankly. Um, you know, I, I love seeing patients, uh, but for every patient encounter, there were multiple to-dos that came as part of that. And tracking that in your brain uh, became increasingly difficult. And I, I frankly um, there were a lot of balls in the air and I would drop a few. And it really felt like I was not doing my best work. And as a physician and as someone who took an oath to do my best, it, uh, you know, it, it, it was a difficult time for me. And frankly, I think that's part of the burnout and moral injury that people talk about is that, you know, the system doesn't let you do your best work. And ultimately, you know, patient care can suffer and, and ultimately the provider experience is eroded and all the other stuff. So for me, I was, um, you know, kind of hit bottom in that regard and, and felt like you know, I was getting increasingly frustrated emails from colleagues and patients, you know, hey, doc, you know, can you do this? I've asked you three times now. And that that just felt like, again, um, was not my intention. Uh, it was, you know, my, my hope and expectation was to take the best care of my patients. And um, unfortunately, just the, the process and inability to kind of manage all the to-dos was difficult. And, you know, again, at the same time, I was uh, managing a, a very elegant shopping list with my wife. Um, and, you know, when she was at the supermarket and I put bananas on the list, you know, when she was in that you know, produce aisle and she checked the box, I got a notification that she picked up bananas. And that was kind of just like this, you know, lightning bolt moment. It's like, oh my God, you know, I, I know exactly where she is and that she's done the thing that she needed to do. And, and you know, there's that loop closure. And that, that's a concept that just simply does not exist in healthcare. And that was for me, you know, in addition to using tools like Asana and Trello and, JIRA to sort of manage our projects in the innovation program and and other, uh, you know, technology efforts that we were doing. I mean, that just seemed like, wow, everyone knows, you know, what is, what needs to be done, who's responsible, we can track it, we can have accountability and structure. And I was like, this is exactly what we need in healthcare. And I knew enough to be dangerous and that the electronic health records and all the clinical systems don't really handle that. So this sort of concept of like the work of the other half of healthcare, you know, this, uh, administrative work that really doesn't have a home that lives on post-it notes and excel files and emails like that needed a home a secure place to do the work and ultimately have visibility into where that process is so uh, really again I was just trying to make you know the job of being a provider easier Um, and ultimately that's been you know it's my own form of therapy now I talk to other providers and trying to help them with their practices and um, you know, for me, it's, it's therapeutic uh, in my own, I guess, sort of medicine to, to try and heal the woes of the, the practice as opposed to the patient.
0: Mm-hmm. So you've mentioned some of the great platforms that are out there and communication uh, platforms, uh, Jira, Trello, Slack. Um, were there limitations then? Why not just go with one of those? Was, was it... Is it HIPAA compliance? Is there something going on where you felt like, I, I like these a lot, I use them, but no. they need something that's more customized for healthcare?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a good sort of uh, innovator journey story as well, because you know I, we used uh, a product called Wonderlist that was uh, bought by Microsoft a couple of years ago, but it was this really simple to-do list. And this was, the frankly, the shopping list that I was using with my wife. Um, But of course, it wasn't HIPAA compliant uh, uh, and at the time there was no HIPAA compliant past management, which is basically still the case. Um, And as a MVP or minimal viable product, as a way to sort of test the concept, um, I got my clinical and administrative staff at Boston Children's to agree to use WonderList, but only use patient initials or use, you know, like ampersands and and money signs instead of uh, letters. Which is, you know, um, obviously not HIPAA compliant, but it was a way to kind of test the concept, and um, immediately we saw impact. Like, you know, people knew exactly where things were in flight, and you know, we were operating uh, far more efficiently and productively and collaboratively. And that that was like, again, another lightning bolt moment or, or light bulb moment. And you know, so we tested that out for a while, and within weeks, we had completed hundreds of tasks, just a small group of us, and. Um, that was enough as a, a sort of again uh, early uh, prototype to say like this is something that we need to build and and so of course, HIPAA compliance is essential foundational and and table stakes in in any healthcare context but beyond that, you know what we 've learned over this last you know couple of years uh, year and a half in the wild since we spun out the company is you know there 's so much that that is nuanced about healthcare it 's not just the security component, which is obviously huge, but it 's the change management, it's the understanding of the culture, it's the understanding of the systems and integrating with those things. So being part of the electronic health record or as deeply integrated as it can be is essential. Understanding the workflows of healthcare, the, the actual roles and, and how people work and, and what is the type of work that they do and what are the systems that matter and how important automation is. Like that's that's where we've gone since. So HIPAA compliance is foundational and without that there's really no conversation to be had. But We've learned so much uh, since that time about how differentiated we can be, and our our laser focus in healthcare, I think, is what ultimately makes us you know, quite different and important mm-hmm. for for healthcare.
0: Mm-hmm. One other thing on that, because you, when you and I did speak last week, we talked about the inefficiencies of email to be a a project management system, and a lot of people, I'm I'm in. Email chains today that where we're kind of managing a project, and it's it's quite maddening. I wanted to get your thoughts on this because you've mm-hmm. thought a lot about email, where it's good and where it's yeah. inefficient. Yeah. So tell us about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, email's not going anywhere, and I think um, I love it to a certain degree, and and we are slaves to it in in you know, healthcare. Um, you know, the electronic health record obviously is where all the sort of orders and intents are placed. Uh, but email is where we go, or even uh, the inbox messaging tools of the electronic health records really are just antiquated email. And, and that is, you know, that is just no way to have visibility into a process to understand who's responsible for what step. And, you know, I, I did an early experiment when we were exploring what Doc Health was, and I opened my electronic health record, and I opened my Outlook account, and I said, how long is it going to take me to Craft an email to my administrative assistant to ask for help with the patient. And I would have to copy the patient medical record number and uh, their name and then craft the appropriate formality uh, needed for an email. And it took me about a minute and a half to generate an email to ask for something really simple by calling back a patient. And then I did it in Doc Health where the the patient context is pulled in automatically and it took me 10 seconds. And that to me, uh, you know, at scale is a powerful sort of differentiator. And and of course we've we've also learned that there's a deeply psychological component um, that's different in a task management solution where the formality goes away. It's just simply do this thing, and we work together and i I get tasks and I give tasks and delegate tasks and it um it just is a far more efficient and you know clarity of purpose is important um and you know I used to answer emails at until midnight almost every night um and unread emails as a way to remember to go back to it. And invariably, those things got buried by the next series of things. And, and that's why I would get the third email from, you know, patients, parents, or, or you know, fellow uh, clinicians, like, hey, you know, I asked you to do this thing. This is the third reminder. Like, th- those started feeling bad. Right. Um, so I think there's a better way.
0: Yeah, for sure. So the pandemic uh, put stresses on all of us. But one thing that I've found in doing more than 100 interviews with with doctors, with uh, practice administrators, is that it. there was a period of time with some patient volumes being down where there was time to reflect and go, okay, I, you know, I'm struggling right here, but I've got some time to really put some thought and ideas into what's going on in the practice, how I want to interact with patients, um, you did a lot of things during the pandemic here in that, in that regard. One of the things is you did develop an ebook. I want to get the title right Creating Interconnectivity to Improve Patient Care and Reduce Provider Burnout. Uh, tell us about that book and, and, first of all, what you mean by interconnectivity.
1: Yeah, so this was sort of, um, you know, our first exploration on trying to just get down the concepts of what we were working on. And frankly, this this whole concept of task management in healthcare is novel. So for us, whenever we have an opportunity like this, and thank you, Daniel, for the opportunity, you know, whenever we have a chance to, you know, share some of these concepts, I think it's powerful to move, move the needle. Um, for us, interconnectivity, you know, is really taking what is now, you know, in healthcare, the the focus, which is interoperability and taking it to the next level. So interoperability is, you know, again, this the ability for information to flow between systems and everyone wants their EHRs to work together and use a coherent and uniform language. Uh, but the reality is that that does nothing to help the clinician that is trying to communicate with someone else on the care team uh, to actually know what they're responsible for. And, you know, so, um, As an example, as a GI doctor, I'll send my clinic note to the primary care provider in the community. There is no guarantee whatsoever that they're, number one, going to read it, number two, going to find the request at the bottom of that assessment and plan that I actually need them to check, you know, a a CBC next month. And so, you know, those things get dropped. And unfortunately, we, we leave it to the patient to actually, you know, say make sure that that thing gets done you know i I mean i can't tell you how many times i've told the patient to say hey you know call my office next week and just make sure we send in that referral and like that that's just that's tragic honestly um the fact that we place so much um you know importance and so much um work frankly on the patient and the family and the the care team uh sorry and and the the care providers themselves to to sort of manage the process that we haven't figured out how to handle within healthcare. Um, and so to me, that interconnectivity is really just creating a seamless way for folks to, you know, uh, connect seamlessly and efficiently and collaboratively so that people know, you know, hey, I just need you to check that patient's CBC. And this is the patient and this is who is responsible for that task instead of that four-page note that, again, just goes into the fax pile and sits on someone's desk and never gets read. Um, so for us, that interconnectivity is really taking this interoperability, which seems like, you know, um, an impossible feat at this point, but taking that to the next level.
0: hmm you said it feels impossible. Do you think we will solve the interoperability, uh, puzzle here at some point, or is it, is that even worth contemplating right now? Yeah,
1: I think, you know, frankly, we're just trying to leapfrog around it. I mean, I, I think that, you know, uh, this is a tough one. I think, I yeah. think that interoperability, <laughs> we're going to reach a certain point where, yeah, you know, we speak the same language and these, uh, yeah, EHR is going to talk to each other and the other systems. But at the end of the day, I don't think that solves the problem. So for us, again, we're looking to move beyond that and actually, you know, create uh, ways for folks to collaborate uh, that are on a care team that is arguably increasingly distributed in the world that we now live in uh, and really connect them in a
0: way that's meaningful. Okay. Okay. I want to go back to the ebook then. You described something in there you call the three pillars of pain. Tell us about that. What, what are those?
1: <laughs> again this is sort of my own personal pain points um in, in ebook form but yeah, you know, the, the three that we identified are, are cognitive burden medical errors and, and medical errors in our world are, are drop balls and, and burnout and yeah, you know, maybe i'll just get into each of those briefly but the cognitive burden is this concept that you know there's only so much that the human brain can remember um and that you know the unreading of emails as an example is is you know you know, it's just too much for the human brain to even remember to go back to. Um, and, you know, the chicken scratch that we jot down on the back of a clinic note, um, that's just not a way that we can capture all that information. So, you know, in, in the the days before that sort of lightning bolt moment for me where I realized, gosh, I need a task management solution for my healthcare world as, as much as I do for my, you know, food shopping list, um, I would just... You know air quotes remember those things and then it would be like, you know, in the shower or on the drive home I'd be like I forgot to do that thing from three weeks ago or it would be that, you know, that frustrated email from one of my colleagues like hey doc, you know, I asked you to do this, you know, three weeks ago. Um, so the cognitive burden is just simply understanding there's a whole body of literature on this about how much the human brain can really capture and remember. Um, it 's just too much for us to do uh, as a human, um, and that leads to tremendous inefficiencies and and these drop balls and that sort of they all kind of interconnect right and so the medical errors in our mind is is drop balls um, and so drop balls are um you know the things that fall through the cracks these emails that get forgotten that sort of referral that gets left in the inbox for two weeks or the you know the the document that you have to fill out for a procedure that you forgot to do because, you know, you've got so much going on. And, and those drop balls, you know, they translate into lost revenue for the practice, you know, huge increase in costs for the healthcare, you know, ecosystem at large, uh, certainly provider burnout because you start feeling terrible about those drop balls. And then I think most importantly, poor patient outcomes, like those drop balls translate to a patient not getting their treatment on time and ending up in the emergency room or you know, their cancer care. And, and we're not talking about surgical errors and this, you know, or leaving scalpels in people's abdomens, but the, the sort of you know death by a thousand cuts, it's all these sort of little things that get dropped and forgotten, and we, again, put it on the patient's lap to remember, and you know, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but we need to hold ourselves to a higher standard. And then you know, again, implicit in that is the burnout piece. And I think physicians speaking as one, um, get all the sort of attention for them being burnt out, and frankly, obviously, with with COVID and the pandemic, you know, there's there's a there's a true burnout in the sense of you know the the work that they're doing clinically and the sort of uh, incredible challenges they're facing, and that that is a the truest and most horrific form of burnout. But there's the you know there's the other piece, which is just the again the slow burn of administrative um, burden. Um, and I think that it's not just clinicians, it's, it's everyone, it's the, everyone on the administrative staff. It's you know the, the reason why the turnover is so high in an administrative role in healthcare is because it's a tough job and they have a lot of stuff to remember and track. And they're given literally a post-it notepad and an Excel file uh, as their form of toolings and saying here, try and remember all the things you have to do for all the providers that you're caring for. Uh, you know, the physicians and nurses and nurse practitioners and, you know, try and track all the things that the patients are calling you about in this, you know, really cobbled together and integrated system. Mm
0: -hmm. So those Um, those are
1: three pillars of pain.
0: I want to go back for a minute here because I'm listening to you. I'm hearing you talk all about the real pain points. When you were in med school, does administrative burden, are there courses on administrative burden and that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, so I wish I I wish I had teed you up for this question, but it, it's so important. So this is this is, you know, at some point we'll have a foundation uh that will, you know, support this sort of education in healthcare. It's so important and it is not even remotely part of the healthcare education. So in medical school, you know, we always joke when I was in medical school, I talked about, well, they don't teach you how to run a practice. You don't learn business skills. Um, which remains very true. But I think importantly, we don't learn about teamwork, we don't learn about collaboration, we don't learn about systems and processes that you need to put in place to prevent all this cognitive burden and administrative overload and, and burnout. Um, And so burnout, you know, certainly yoga is great. And eating apples that you're given for free in the cafeteria is great. But that's not going to solve, you know, the burnout, Problem. And I think, you know, we learn in medical school about primary prevention. Um, and, you know, having a system and a process to work together with your team collaboratively, take care of yourself and your patients, I think needs to be an essential part of education in healthcare, not just in medical school, but in nursing school and, you know, uh, any sort of uh, medically oriented schooling. Yeah.
0: It, the one last thing about that is, you know, it's not really covered in the way you're you you you're talking about in med school. And then, again, from the entertainment perspective, whether it's ER, Chicago Hope, Grey's Anatomy, I mean, they seem very stressful, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the drama of do I lose the patient, do I save them? And then it's very romantic with a lot of relationships, but the, again, they don't get down in the nitty gritty of the administrative burden, interoperability. Um, you know, I guess that's just too boring to, to try to cover. Yeah, it's not very, you know, know. it's
1: not very sexy, unfortunately. And, you know, I think the reality is, I mean, I I went into medicine to take care of patients, right? Yeah, to look a patient in the eyes, to examine them, to take care of them. It is not to spend the bulk of my day on the electronic health record or or. You know, at night and a weekend managing email. And I think that is the sad reality of healthcare right now. And so really, in many ways, my mission is to help reduce a lot of that administrative burden by making it just more collaborative and and more efficient through something as simple as, you know, a, a workflow management or task management solution. So, for me, this is, again, I'm still trying to solve my own pain. Um, I'd love to be helping other providers take better care of themselves and and make it easier to take good care of patients. But yeah, the romantic sort of nature of healthcare and and why we all went into medical school nursing school or allied health professional school uh, is really, um, you know, to take care of patients. It's not to do all this paperwork stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about that because one of the things you have been thinking about, not just during the pandemic, but even before that, is the the idea of what you just mentioned, task flow management. You you've even been quoted as saying that everything in healthcare is a task. That's a really interesting way to think about it. Let's talk about that. What it's not maybe why you went into yeah. uh, med school in the first place. You wanted to look yeah. those patients in the eye, but now you're you're trying to solve this puzzle of task management. So help us solve that now. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. It's certainly not the reason why I went into med school. Um, you know, I agreed though that everything in healthcare is a task and, you know, for us, you know, my day to day is, you know, refer this patient and call this primary care provider back or fill out this form or, you know, tell a patient to pick up a humidifier. So some of these tasks are, are, you know, internal to the work that, I and my my office may need to do, but then there's you know tasks that are given to patients, and that should be nice to know when they do those things, and certainly give them a, a clear to do to do list themselves. But you know, it's all about that accountability and reliability, and and knowing who's responsible for what, and ideally seeing when that loop is closed, when that thing is completed, and. Again, I mentioned earlier, but you know, putting the pressure on the patient, like, hey, we don't have a really efficient process of managing tasks. So would you mind calling my office next week and just making sure we did that thing that is essential for your healthcare?" care? Um, and that, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we do that and, and how patients have to be such incredible advocates. There's something called a patient advocate. Did you know that? No. Um, and that's really, yeah, they, these are people that are hired to help make sure that the healthcare team does their stuff. Whoa. You know, it's it's bananas, um, and I don't mean to disparage that role. It's it's super helpful to navigate the the painful healthcare system that we live in because we're not reliable. Uh, you know, we get trained on this concept of high reliability in healthcare, where we we need to be highly reliable, just like you know the uh, the you know pilots and the aeronautical industry, and you know we are far from that. Um, certainly, uh, our surgical colleagues are wonderful about their surgeries and their checklists. Uh, but that hasn't come into like the traditional medicine uh, role and managing all the to-dos that are part of that. And so it is. At the End of the day, it's all tasks, and we just need a better way to manage it, other than you know the clinical system like the EHR or post-it notes.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you're developing ways to uh, develop and manage the tasks, but um, you also have to measure it. I mean, that's that's so important with this MGMA audience. We you know, we're known for our data. We're measuring yeah. what's happening in those practices. Um, another a term that or a phrase that you provided for me was that data powers decisions and tasks power data. Talk about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, it's amazing to me as we sort of, you know, explore this world of task management and healthcare that, again, all the work of healthcare, you know, the, the work that your your audience is largely responsible for uh, is happening in analog systems like email and Post-it notes and Excel files and you know a, a paper checklist that was on one person's desk. And so, you, know, you, you can't change what you can't measure. And, and the reality is that all that work is done in a non-digital, non-collaborative form. And it all ends up in the wastebasket in one form or another. And so nothing is learned. There is no process improvement. There's no quality improvement. Um, And ultimately, we can't surface where our bottlenecks and inefficiencies are. So for us, taking something as simple as an administrative workflow, like onboarding a new patient into a practice or, you know, referring a patient or pre-procedural, whatever. um, If we do that in a shared task list where everyone knows who's responsible for what, we've got time and date stamps on every step of that process. And we've got structure in that we know, okay, these are the eight or 10 steps that we want to do every time because we want to be a highly reliable organization. At the end of that process, we have data. Um, we doc and the organizations that use it have data on, okay, how long did that thing take? And how many touch points were there? And where is the bottleneck? And where are the inefficiencies? And how can we refine and improve that process to make it a better patient experience or a better provider experience? And, and without that, we are literally... Swimming in the dark, or whatever your analogy is, you're you're just kind of throwing darts against the wall. Um, and so, you know, again, what you can measure, you can change. And in this case, um, there is an incredible amount of work being done in healthcare that is completely uncaptured. Uh, and our aim is to capture that and learn from it, automate what we can, and over time, even predict where those, you know, those gaps are going to be or where the the ball is going to drop,
0: and apply resources or automation. Mm -hmm. You got into this, this entrepreneurial world by having to live through it and that administrative burden. When you're looking at that data and measuring it now, is there anything that stood out to you? Anything that either (laughs) justified, you know, that you put all this work into it to go, yeah, this is happening or anything that even surprised you that's occurred in the data about some of these gaps, some of these inefficiencies that are taking place?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the sort of resonant message so far, and you know, it's early days for us, in all honesty. Um, but we're excited about the work that we're doing and 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 empowering, you know, uh, practices and organizations to to give them the data and the insights that they need. But you know, for me, I guess um, it should come as no surprise that this kind of mirrors real life, and and by that I mean, clinicians are often you know popping into the platform uh, to check on things, and so this sort of for me, it was always like I would, um, yeah, I tell this story a lot. But I, uh, as a GI doctor, I prescribe um, a lot of biologic therapies for patients who needed an infusion, and I would prescribe that biologic therapy um, in the electronic health record, and I would cross my fingers and hope for the best that that patient would end up in the infusion center two weeks later and what I realized in this sort of venture is that um, you know there are dozens of human beings across multiple departments within an organization interfacing with multiple uh, other organizations outside of the hospital to navigate that patient journey and get that patient from the clinic to the infusion center and with all the appropriate insurance approvals and you know tests and things that are needed to get there and and at the end of the day, there's no, you know, no doubt that balls are gonna drop or things are gonna fall through the cracks because there's just so many handoffs and so much antiquated technology. And so for us, you know, it's, um, it's seeing that you know, the clinicians, they wanna see where that process is in flight. When they get that call from the patient and they're wondering, the patient's wondering, hey, you know, uh, Jimmy's getting sicker, where, where are we at with that infusion process? I would say I, I have no idea, um, and I'm hoping that my admin knows. Can you maybe call the office and see what they know? And yeah, that again felt like bad medicine. I felt like I wasn't doing the best for my patients, um, and it felt you know out of control. I had no you know visibility into where the process was in flight. I had no control over it, um, and so you know I think what we are seeing now with the data is that the administrative folks who's Job it is to sort of make sure all those boxes are checked. Now have a place to do it securely, where everyone has visibility on where the process is in flight, who is responsible for what step, um, and a clear process diagram that says, okay, these are the things that we need to do each and every time to be highly reliable. Um, and you know, the the clinicians may may not be doing all that work, but they have visibility into it and they can activate it in a way that um, you know reduces their own administrative, burden, you know. Fumbling through your reply all emails to find where that process is in flight and figure out like am i am I supposed to do something? Do I have to call the peer to peer or do I have to do the letter of medical necessity like having clarity of purpose um, is powerful, and so I think our our data mirrors that nicely, and I'm hopeful that you know, as we do this more and more we'll we'll learn where we can apply automation and efficiencies
0: okay. I have one more healthcare question I want to ask you, and it's another concept I understand that you feel very strongly about, and that's that everyone is a provider. Um, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I hope this isn't like a
1: uh, a controversial topic, but you know, to me, you know, I as a physician, I, you know, I think I we're always anointed with this concept of being the provider. But to me, this is a team effort. You know, healthcare is a is a team teamwork job and i think we're we always look at this in a dichotomous fashion there's the there's the clinicians and then there's the administrators and to me the administrators you know they could go and work in another role in a non-academic medical center and probably make more money and probably have a less stressful job but they do it because it's important they do it because they feel like they can have an impact in patient care uh, and in patients lives and i to me i think it's important that everyone you know works on the same platform and has visibility to you know the process, and so to me, it's not just sure I'm in a clinic you know, and examining patients and providing care in that respect. But the folks that are you know working their tails off to get the prior authorization all set, or the answering the phone calls and dealing with you know frustrated families and patients, you know they're providing care in a in a perhaps different way, but all with the same mission. So to me, everyone deserves that you know that respect and that um, you know. Um, declaration that we're all providers and thereby we should all be on the same platform working together. There shouldn't be a clinical half and an administrative sort of cobbled together set of technologies.
0: Okay. Well, I want to end with a more personal note from you. Um, You've been talking a lot about these administrative burdens um, and then platforms and efficiencies to help ease some of those burdens. But then there's you know, getting away from the job because that's needed too. Uh, You've got a lot on your plate. You've got, you know, a company you're running. You've got your practice. uh, You speak, you teach, you do all these other things. But when you get away from all that, what are you doing that's something you're passionate about? That's a hobby? That's anything about that that's not related to medicine that you love to do that just kind of brings you joy in your life?
1: Yeah. Well, certainly family uh is the most important to me. And I think uh this is one of the challenges of, of being a busy physician and uh was was finally time to, you know, spend quality time with your family. And I, you know, again, frustrating for me and part of the, the pain was, you know, managing all the emails and just not having time to do the important stuff. And so for me, um, it's spending time with my kids, our three young kids, and um particularly gardening. Um has been something that I've always enjoyed. And I think, you know, um, my little kids have, have kind of learned the process and watched the sort of fruits of their labor and, um, you know, planted seeds and watched them grow and tended to them. And it, it, there's something just powerful about, you know, first of all, just getting your hands dirty. I mean, I'm such a techie and I'm so um, digitally focused, but at the same time, I just love working with my hands and getting my hands dirty and, and you know, teaching my kids the importance of, you know, uh, nurturing things and, and you know, being patient and, um, and, and then reaping the rewards of, of your hard work. Uh, to me, that's just powerful. And, and I also like to eat healthy and all that too. So it's, um, to me, it's gardening and, and you know, um, just working in the garden with my kids. It's been, we now have what we call it a farm. It's not really a farm, but it's, it's now three little gardens instead of just one. So
0: what's, a, what's taken uh, fruit this year? What's bloomed that you've been able to enjoy uh, this year?
1: We've done, uh, our cucumbers did really well this year. So there was a lot of pickles. My kids love pickles. And then my my nine-year-old is obsessed with anything that is spicy. And so we grew habanero peppers <laughs> and made our own habanero hot sauce. Uh, so that was, that was a new entry this year, but um, yeah, certainly enjoyable for everyone. And uh, uh, they're actually quite easy to grow just for anyone who's listening.
0: <laughs> Well, that sounds wonderful. We'll have to get some recipes from you. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining the podcast and just sharing this journey and this story with us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Mike Doctor. You can learn more about the work Doc Health is doing and book a demo of their platform at doc.health slash mgma. Also, thanks to MDVIP and to CareCloud for sponsoring this week's show. CareCloud's free revenue cycle assessment uncovers billing mistakes so you can see how to claim every last dollar. Get your free assessment by visiting carecloud.com slash assessment. An MDVIP's fee-based wellness program provides a better, more personalized primary care experience for patients and physicians alike, while providing consistent, stable revenue to your practice. Learn how your group can increase patient satisfaction and loyalty by visiting mdvip.com slash patientloyalty. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcasts at mgma.com or find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening.